Welcome to the One New Man Network from Kirtlandry Ministries at House of David, where we learn about the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. The following is a replay of a previous service. Thank you, worship team. It is good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. And if I could see you, it would be even better. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, Passover review. You know, I was told a long time ago by a man, there are three kinds of people. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who have no idea what happened. (laughs) So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about what happened over the past uh, Passovers um, and hopefully bring some things uh, to light. Some things that stood out to me, Rabbi asked me to do this. Uh, yesterday, and so um, when he said, I want you to talk about the Passover review, I said, you know, what, what really happened? I said, I'm not for sure if I've got that download just yet. <laughs> and he says, well, you need revelation then. <laughs> so, so anyway, okay, so we're going to condense six hours of Passover into Whatever. Passover 5779, the Passover of our heritage. How many of you know what heritage means? All of us have a, a certain understanding of what it means to us, but what does God want us to see? When Rabbi you know, came up with the, the theme, the Lord gave him the theme of what this Passover is, was, is, and is going to be to pass over of our heritage. So what does a heritage look like? I, as a farmer, a family farm that's been passed down through generations, have an understanding from my perspective of what heritage is. We each do from our own experience. You know, they say that you can take 10 people, watch them or have them observe the same event and you'll get 10 different stories because different things stand out to different people. So tonight our question and our our challenge is what did we see this Passover season? These, if you were in both of them, the story line is the same, the moed is the same, the elements are the same, but the Lord did different things in each of the Passovers. And so tonight we're going to look at the, the first one, the 19th, and kind of see what the Lord was saying in that, the portrayal of what was offered as we set our feet under our father's table. So this heritage thing is, heritage means, um, it can mean property that you are entitled to by inheritance. Heritage can mean something that is your birthright. It's a position by birthright. It can also be something that is from preceding generations is passed down it's almost like a legacy. So whenever Rabbi was talking about the heritage 
in the first Passover, he was talking about <clears throat> how we could reclaim what's been robbed and stolen from us. And he talked about, you know, going back, clear back to the councils of Eliah and Nicaea, uh, the different ones where the table of the Lord was stolen from the church, from the body of Christ. And God never wants us to be separated from him. One of the greatest places of intimacy is when we come and we have fellowship with the Lord. Each of the feasts of the Lord is a place of fellowship where the Lord calls us up to have intimacy with him. Now, in our world today, a lot of times it seems like the family has been scattered and, you know, everybody is busy doing their own thing and no one has time to sit down and actually have a meal together. Or if it is, it's just very quick and most people are still on their phones while they're eating and so there's real no communications and the most buzz puzzling thing to me is and I guess this is because I'm old is when people in the same room don't talk to one another but they text one another that puzzles me but with the Lord he comes and he asks us to put our feet under his table for a reason and it's to reclaim that heritage that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. The table of the Lord reminds us of what he was willing to do to purchase us, to bring us back to the place of fellowship so that we can put our feet under our Father's table and have that interaction one with the other. When the enemy stole that or took that away and it began, became something different, it was just the communion rather than actually Pesach, rather than the Passover, the Feast of Freedom, something was stolen from us. Part of your heritage, part of your roots, part of what the Lord has done for us through the Passover lamb, which is Yeshua, part of that was lost to us. And so this is a season where we as believers can come back and begin to reclaim some of those blessings that come through keeping the appointments of the Lord. So we can come back and we can reclaim part of our inheritance. Well, what is our inheritance in Jesus Christ? Well, it says by his stripes, we are the healed of the Lord and that the Lord would meet our every need. You know, it's one thing, it's like, uh, there's one of the things that rabbi said in the, when the first Passover, you know, he talked about whenever uh, Nash came to to uh, retrieve the Offie Coleman. He said, Pastor Tim's gonna give you his credit card. <laughs> well, not exactly. But in the spirit realm, our heavenly father does just that. You get the son's credit card. He says that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give it to you because he desires to meet your need. And that's what the Lord wants to do is to meet our needs. That's part of our inheritance. Another part of the Passover and the heritage is to cleanse the land. You know, the, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Lord dealt with some of the sins that were in the land, but he also dealt with some of the sins that had cropped, that had, that had been um, perpetrated upon the children of Israel by being in the land. Sometimes when you're in the land, you know, uh, in the land of Egypt, you know, they worshiped lots of different gods and they were very familiar with that lifestyle. So what happens is the Passover forced them to make some choices. They had to go out and they chose the lamb. They brought it into the house. They, they examined it. They did the things. They, 
whenever they, they sacrificed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost, they were, they were choosing to go against what was politically correct. And that's one of the things that the Passover will do to you. It kind of puts you in a position where, yeah, in this part of the country, it may be that you're not in the politically correct crowd, but that's all right because it's better to be on God's side than it is on the politically correct side. So it's gone to the process of cleansing our land and we are on a journey. How many of you know that the journey of the Lord is on a day-by-day -day basis? These appointments, the, the feasts of the Lord are to remind us and to bring us to set appointments that where you can come back and you be reminded. I've been doing this for uh, several years with Rabbi, but also years before that, doing the Passovers. And the first Passover that I can remember doing was with a guy by the name of Zola Levitt. And that was years ago in Baxter Springs. And uh, we had him come in and he did a Passover with us, him and a man by the name of Mal Couch. And it changed my life. He had some books about the feasts of the Lord and what they represented and how prophetic that they are. And that set a, that set a precedent in my life. From that point on, because I've always loved prophecy and the things of prophecy, but learning the pattern that the Lord established through those feasts set the tone for me and my prophetic study all through the years. And I am still some almost 50 years later, not quite 50 years, but probably 47 from that first Passover, I'm still learning, and that impartation and that impact of that first Passover is still filtering through how I process Scripture, how I profess, or process the things of how the world is responding, the timing in which we live, various things. It has a, has a big impact. So this is part of the journey. One of the things that you do in this journey as the Passover is that you understand and learn that God brings us to a place of this separation of the Passover because the Passover lamb separates you from the other things of the world. You've either got the blood on the doorpost or you don't. The death angel passes over you and now you've passed from this life into a new life, a, you know, a, a new journey, and it's bringing us to a place to where there is a, a, a position that you can find yourself into where you can say the enemy has no power on you or your land. And that was part of this Passover process of this time. The different ones that were involved in the Passover, those who were sitting at the head tables, those who were sitting in the seats and at the tables, each had a particular anointing that you all got to be a part of. The Lord uses this as a family to bring all of us together so that we can all bring our peace and put it down at the table. You need what someone else has got and someone else needs what you've got. So that way the body is edified, it's strengthened. That's what this Passover does. And that's what this last Passover, and it's unusual because of how the land uh, with Robert Henderson in the courts Things are changing around House of David because of his teaching. How you process and how you do things are changing because of what anointing that Robert has as far as being able to go into the courts 
and to get justice and judgment for your victories. And that was what was part of the table. So our land needs to be off limits to the enemy. So I want you to say, my land land is off limits limits to the attacks of Satan. Satan. I have been bought with a price. I I am set free. free. And who the sun sets free free. is free indeed. indeed. All right. So he's also given us a dominion mandate. This was part of the first Passover. What is the dominion mandate? You have a responsibility. See, what happens is whenever you become part of the kingdom of God, you're here as a representative of the kingdom of God. As kings and priests, part of the preparation leading us up to this Passover season was that there was the teachings on being kings and priests after the order of Melchizedek, right? All of you, how many of you acknowledge that I am a king priest after the order of Melchizedek? If you recognize that, and that is what Jesus Christ came to do, was to change the priesthood from the Aaronic priesthood. Now, they still exist, but there is a higher priesthood. That was the reason why he came to Yochanan the Immerser. And Rabbi mentioned that, that he came to Yochanan the Immerser so that there would be a change of the priesthood so that that priesthood would come to a higher level, a high priest now that would live forever to make intercession for us. As he's making intercessions and we enter into the courts, therefore, if we come in in the proper order, you're going to have your prayer answered with a judgment on your behalf. The enemy has to go. He can't touch you. The blood keeps you from his assault. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have trials, test battles. That's, that's, that comes with the territory, but you get the victory. You get the victory. You get the victory. It may not be exactly like what you think, but you still win. You are victorious. And that's the promise of having the dominion and mandate that you get to go out and speak and, and take the authority that God has given you through his blood, through his name, because you're bought with the price, you belong to him, you're representative of him, his spirit is in you, therefore you can exercise the dominion mandate that what you say has authority in the spirit realm. That's what Passover is really all about. It's taking on those demonic forces and they have to be at bay. The Lord defeated every one of them at Calvary. If you look back at what he took on in Egypt through the Passover lamb, then what he took on at Calvary, you read in the Psalms, Jesus took on the demonic forces and completely embarrassed them, put them to shame. They made a mistake by crucifying him. Through that, he takes authority. That authority has been given to you, which brings in the shalom or the peace of God. The shalom is nothing broken, nothing missing. 
That is yours with the dominion mandate through the Passover table. Shalom means that you can go and you can have peace in your home. You can have peace at your job. You can have peace with your neighbor. You can have peace. So then why aren't I seeing it manifest? Sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes we forget who we belong to. Sometimes we forget what we are capable of through his spirit. And that's why the Passover table is a yearly thing to remind us to take your position. Rabbi taught that sometimes you can praise God when you get kicked out of something. You can praise God when you get kicked out of something. A lot of you have been kicked out of things. And it's God that gets you kicked out because you don't need to associate with some of that stuff. A lot of times we look at it as, oh, and that's a defeat or that's, you know, I'm, I've lost my position. No, you just didn't need to be where you was. There's times that the Lord's looking out for you. Some of the greatest things that's ever happened to me is when God didn't answer the prayer that I prayed, but he gave me what I needed rather than what I wanted. That's some of the greatest victories came. It's kind of the Mr. Magoo move. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. I was praying for one thing. I got something else and it was so much better than what I was praying for. So sometimes you get kicked out of what you don't need so that you can become dependent upon God. We are all dependent upon God or we should be. If we're not, then what happens is there's going to probably be a circumstance that will come your way that will remind you that your strength, and many of you have great strengths, and God anoints those strengths. But a lot of times, those strengths have to be put on the back burner so that we can be reminded that all of our sufficiency, all of our dependence, all of our victory is in the grace of God that's extended to us. You know, a lot of you are pretty cute, but some of you ain't that cute. To where that cuteness gets you through the challenges that the enemy can throw at you. But what happens is whenever the father's love, whenever we get to a place to where we know who we are in him, the power and the authority that comes to you because of who you belong to, not because of your strength, but because of who you know and who knows you. Most people, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, in the spirit realm, a lot of times it's the same way. Sometimes it's not what I know, it's who I know. The Lord takes me past what I know and puts me in a position a lot of times that I probably am in way over my head, 
but the Lord still has mercy on me and secures me and causes me, causes me to triumph in areas and in ways that I wouldn't, I don't even have any idea. That's the Mr. Magoo move. Sometimes it's a Magoo, you've done it again. It's like, what did I just do? It's one of those deals where the three, I'm, you know, I'm one of those three guys. And I've been in all of those categories, the three, the three types of people. Those who make things happen, sometimes good, sometimes not good. Those who watch things happen all the time. And those who have no idea what happened, part of the time I'm there too. Lord, what did you just do? And sometimes he'll share with you what he just did. Hindsight is 2020. But sometimes you got to wait a while and look a long ways back to see exactly what God did. I was not expecting to be here 20 years ago when we started with the Passover on our back porch. This is not the same view that I had back then. I'm glad that God has done what he's done. But it didn't come from my strength and it didn't come from Rabbi's strength. It came from God's choice, God's provision, God's call, God's anointing, God's power. It's he who makes us prosper and triumph. So whenever we become dependent upon God, there's, dependent upon God, there's another part of it that we have to, have to come into agreement with. We need to come into agreement with God's prophetic word coming into agreement with what God says. Well, how do we do that? That means you have to be able to listen to the Lord and say, just as Jesus said in the garden, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, your will be done and not mine. That's easier said than done because all of us want our own way and our own will. You're just, you're just, you know, programmed that way. We all are. But the Lord can change us. He can transform us. Part of the process of the Passover table is the transforming work that takes place to where we become more and more like Messiah, more and more like Christ. So as we come into agreement with God's prophetic word, you have to understand that you're hearing the Lord prayerfully you're coming into agreement with what God says because if you come into agreement with what God says and say that's my will as well then you get your will because God always gets his way if you argue with God God always wins you can look through the pages of scripture all the patriarchs all the different heroes of the of of the book God wins every argument it just happens that way. God's God. So in the process of whenever we get to that point, then that's when we are healed. And that's what the Passover table also brings. You know, whenever we break the bread and we look at the bread and you examine the matzah and it's pierced and it's striped, it's a picture of the body of Christ that was broken for us that brings about our healing. So the body gets healed. As the body gets healed, 
There's a process of healing that in the flesh, but there's also the, the part of healing our soul, our mind, our will, our emotion. Sometimes the healing of the body is easier than healing the soul. When your soul gets wounded, it can be a tough road. And also in the spirit. But the Passover table brings about healing to body, soul, and spirit. It heals the past, the present, and the future. It also brings reconciliation to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit back into us so that you can accept who you are in him, who he has called you to be, who he has anointed you to be. Now, an illustration of this, and this is not in, since I didn't have any notes, this is not in your notes. But as I was going through this, in fact, I, the Lord woke, woke me up about five o'clock this morning with the um, example of Elijah. And while it doesn't say in scripture, I went back and looked and searched and thought, well, you know, is this the same time frame? Is this the Passover season? Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal and Asherah, 850 against one. Was this at the Passover season? It doesn't really say. But from what happens after that, it kind of leads me to believe. So I'm not saying it is. Don't get dogmatic on me. But there's some lessons that we can learn from what transpired in Elijah's experience. So Elijah, you know the story. Elijah is in Israel. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel are ruling. The feasts of the Lord are in neglect. They're not really following after the things of the Lord, the, the ordinances, the covenants, the, the prescribed calendar of God and the prophets of Baal. Baal is running rampant. And so Elijah calls for a drought. He is a marked man. Ahab wants to kill him. Jezebel wants to kill him. This, this way he is not the most popular guy in the country. So he takes on the prophets of Baal, repairs the altar, faces them down 850 to one, and he wins. God shows up and he hacks 850 people up. That's a prophetic call at its highest order. He slices and dices. <laughs> Makes him even more of a marked man. Jezebel, when she hears about this, she has a fit and says, I'm going to make your life just like the one of those before the day is out. Elijah, mighty man of power and God, what does he do? Turns tail and runs. And let's say that's, I understand what you're dealing with in the spirit realm. He's taking on a spiritual force unlike anything else. It's one of the, one of the highest most difficult to take on. So a lot of times I've heard people get very uh, critical of Elijah. 
be very careful to criticize somebody like that. At the table, we set a place for Elijah because the Lord says that Elijah's returning, right? So in the process of that, you know the story. He takes off, heads off into the desert, leaves his servant at Beersheba at the well of the oaths. He goes another day's journey into the wilderness under a broom tree and collapses, complains to God and says, God, kill me. It's enough. I'm the only one that's left. And so the Lord doesn't really correct him. Instead, he sends an angel. And by this time, he's so depressed, so despondent, he doesn't even want to respond. And the angel has to nudge him and says, hey, you need to drink and you need to eat. Okay. So he does. Doesn't really say anything about the encounter with the angel. He's not really impressed. He's that under the spiritual attack. And then he goes back to sleep. The angel nudges him again. Look, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do better than this, bud. You're going to have to eat again. Gives him, I'm not saying it's angel food cake. <laughs> but whatever it is, it says that he went into the strength of that meal for 40 days. Where does he go? He goes off into Arabia, he goes off into Midian, goes to the mountain of the Lord, goes back to where Moses met the Lord. He goes to Mount Horeb, climbs the mountain, goes into the cave. And while he's there, he has an encounter. God shows up at the mountain of the Lord, this mountain that the Lord descended upon and burned in fire. And it's like the counting of the Omer. This 40-day journey is very similar to the counting of the Omer, the journey of the 40 days. Actually, there's 50 days in the Omer, but there's a 40-day journey. This is day 11 of the counting of the Omer. So we're on our way to Pentecost. We're on our way to, to, to the encounter on the mountain of the Lord. So as Elijah goes and he's at the, as he's at the cave, he's instructed by the Spirit to go and stand at the mouth of the cave. All right? So as he goes to the mouth of the cave, he has an encounter with what he thinks could be God. Understand, he's very despondent. He's very depressed. He is underneath a tremendous spiritual attack. He goes to the, to the opening of the cave and he looks outside and it says the Lord comes, and you can find this in 1 Kings 19, comes to the cave and as he's looking out, it says there's a wind that comes. And this wind is so strong that it's breaking the rocks. We had some wind in our area last night, but it wasn't breaking any rocks. So there's a supernatural event that occurs. And what happens is the Lord is dealing with Elijah's, his physical, his, his body, his flesh, He's dealing with his soul and he's dealing with his spirit. So he has this encounter with three different things. So the wind comes, it breaks the rocks, but it says God's not in the wind. 
How many of us, a lot of times, if we see something supernatural, we get that feeling, that warm, fuzzy feeling that, well, this must be the Lord. And God's dealing with Elijah's expectation because that's not God in that. doesn't mean that the Lord didn't do it, but that's not what God wants Elijah to see at this particular time. Okay, so he's, the wind passes and that event's done. Now there's an earthquake and everything is shaking. Nothing is what it seems to be. The mountain is quaking. That's not an unusual event on this mountain because whenever the Lord came down on the mountain before, it says the whole area was shaking. The children of Israel were in terror because of what God was doing upon the mountain. So that's something that has been a, a previous pattern when God shows up at this particular place that the earth shakes. But it says God wasn't in the shaking. He wasn't in the earthquake. But he still felt it. Just as the wind, he felt the wind. He felt the earthquake. So he's dealing with the feeling aspect of, a lot of times if we don't feel it, well, it can't be God. Or if I'm feeling this, then that must be God. Has nothing to do with whether it's God or not. You have to be able to hear the voice. So then it comes after the earthquake, then we have the fire. Now, if you turn this around and you could have, well, this is earth, wind, and fire, different music group. Total, but God shows up here with the fire now with the fire and he's witnessing the fire that's burning on this mountain see he's come with the expectation of where is the god of the covenant where is the god that provided the 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 law that provided the the spirit of god that came down and burned up on the mountain and the trumpets that sounded long and he and he's caught up in that and he had this expectation of this encounter with god and each time whenever he he witnessed what he was thinking that he was needing there was an emptiness that was there. And it says God wasn't in that. And so it left him empty. Then it says there was a still small voice. And the question came, Elijah, why are you here? What are you doing? Why did you come here? Now, when God asks the question, understand, he's really not looking for an answer from you because he already knows, but he wants you to understand what you're doing, what your expectation is. What are you, what's going through your mind and your spirit? What, what needs to be healed? So what is Elijah's response to the wind, the earthquake and the fire? The still small voice and the question, why are you here? His response is, is that he wraps his face in his mantle. Very prophetic. Wraps his face in the mantle so that I can't, now I'm in the most deep place of intimacy. In Jewish culture, this is a deep place of intimacy. It's where his identity is. Wraps his face in the mantle and says, I am. And I alone, I've been very zealous for your word. And all they want to do is kill me. The Lord doesn't entertain that answer. He just says, look, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
still in Israel. You're not the only one. You've had an encounter with a spiritual force that was stronger than what you was expecting because you had this victory over the prophets of Baal and there was this feeling of euphoria. Now you get an attack immediately and you tank. But I'm not done with you yet. He says, kill me. Kill me on this spot. Lord, this is the place. This is as far as I'm going. Just let me, let's just end it right here. God says, no, I'm not done with you yet. You've got other things to do. There's other things that you need to fulfill and finish. You need to go anoint a couple of kings. You need to call another prophet in your stead because I'm not through with you. So he does. And it's actually years later that Elijah gets his chariot ride. But it also says about Elijah that he's coming back. When Jesus came on the scene, he said, look, they asked him about, well, the prophets say that Elijah's coming. He says, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they wished in the person of Yochanan the Immerser. But Elijah is coming back. We set a place for him at the table. So he is coming back. But the Lord has to deal with even the Elijahs about remembering who you are, remembering the anointing that you have, remember the authority that you have. His authority did not diminish just because he ran. He just needed to get his battery recharged. Sometimes we have to recharge our batteries. And that's what the Passover is about. So as we come back into it and we hear that still small voice, that still small voice is still speaking today. It'll speak to you. A lot of times we get caught up in the supernatural, in the, uh, in the big show, so to speak, in some personality or in something else. And God's not interested in that. He's interested in those who will listen to that still, small voice. Now, as we are going on through the being healed, body, soul, and spirit, one of the things that also transpired in the, in the first Passover was that when we went into the immersion, the immersion is being immersed into your new identity. The immersion into... Um, your, your king priest anointing, the activation of that. At the beginning of that, there was something that was given. There was a harp that was given. To me, that was a big deal. Why is that a big deal? Harp has an amazing position in the culture of the things of the Lord. A lot of the prophetic things that happened in David's life came as a result of a harp that he took and hung in some trees. And the Spirit of the Lord came and that wind that was upon that mountain later on, that same wind was blowing through that harp and David took and pinned a lot of the Psalms out of what that harp was saying in that season of time. 
when he would go and inquire of the Lord. It was a harp that David took that quieted the spirit that came and tormented Saul. So when a harp comes into a congregation, God is saying something. We need to learn and allow the spirit to begin to minister and to listen to what the spirit is saying. So it's an opportunity. So this Passover was a reminder to us that we need to be able to listen to the spirit of God and allow God to begin and by his spirit to play and to strum the strings of your heart so that you can hear what God is asking you to do. God's empowering you to be praisers, to be worshipers. As kings and priests, you are part of the ministry team that ministers not only to those that surround you in this theater of operations on planet earth, but you're also ministering with the heavenly hosts. You get to join with angels. Your prayers, your petitions, your, your praises go into the throne room. They make a difference. You have authority. God gave you authority. So we need to be directed by that. So the harp is an important part, and it came at the immersion when we were activating our king priest anointing and entering into the Father's love. Okay, that's out of the first Passover. Okay, I'll wrap, the, wrap this up. Passover number two. Who are you? Who are you? What's your identity? And this was in both of them, but why am I here? And when do I walk into my destiny? And the second Passover, the interesting thing was we had the Native Americans here. There was the part of it about reversing the curse of what took place in Oklahoma City at the Morrow Building. Anytime the natives come in, this was a prison camp. Oklahoma was a concentration camp for the Native Americans. The Indian Removal Act is a, is a mar on this nation, and it's a glaring example of broken covenant. When we first got together with Jay and Nigel years ago, one of the things that they was doing was going back and they would bring up all the different areas of the broken covenant. I forget how many, it's hundreds, hundreds of broken covenant that this country would enter into with the different tribes and then they would break that. That left a wound and a scar in the land. So this Passover, when the Indians, the Native Americans came, this was an opportunity to reverse the curse. Not only in this land, but upon this nation. I've witnessed over the years and being a tribal member myself, the pain and the anguish of people who cannot forgive, they're held captive by something that happened hundreds of years ago. They've lost their identity. They're trying to maintain it, but because they have no root in the land and the woundedness, it's, it's actually keeping them as prisoners. And the Lord wants to set us free. The Passover table is one of freedom. It's one of liberty. It's one that 
moves us past what happened a long time ago. You know, Nigel sings the song about always moving for, forward, never looking back, continue to look forward. But the thing is that a majority of the people can continue to be the victims. And it's that way in a lot of other people other than just Native Americans. People retain offenses. They're held, they're in bondage by that. It's time to break that assignment. It's time to break that curse. And that's what this Passover was about, is breaking it. All right, who am I? Our identity. Why am I here? What's your purpose? When will I receive my provision for my destiny? These are the questions. When? Well, how about now? How about now? The fact that you're in the house, the fact that the Native Americans, I hope that they, whenever they came in, they felt the kinship, that this is a safe place, that the table of the Lord is a place where they can receive their healing and be restored to their covenant and see the Lord work on their behalf to restore them to their rightful place. They have authority in the land. Getting that restored is a big deal in the spirit. You can go back and you can look in the scripture. There was a city by the name of Gibeon that came in and they, by cunning, Joshua made a covenant with them. And then um, they didn't get to destroy them because, you know, they didn't get to drive them from the land because Joshua made a covenant. Well, Saul made some mistakes and he persecuted them and then the Lord held them accountable for what Saul did as far as breaking that covenant. God holds nations accountable for breaking covenants. But God also gives an opportunity to reverse that curse and to come out of it. And I believe that's one of the things that happened at this Passover. The ability to break that curse happened as we immersed in the water. So our provision, as we break that curse, as we get grace to heal the land, then our inheritance is restored. The inheritance of them owning the land, being able to speak into the land, being able to bless the land, being able to bless the inhabitants of the land because they are no longer in offense against the ones who have wronged them. But now they come back into the position and take their position, their rightful position, as the first nations, as the indigenous people land, with the power and the authority to bless the land. That's being restored. As they bless the land, then you get the increase. When you get the increase, then all provisions, all the doors began to open. The windows of heaven began to flow. And that's why whenever we brought out the buffalo robe and there were signatures placed on that, Craig talked about, you know, the importance of that buffalo robe, what it signifies. Now, it's just a robe, but it's significant in the fact that it speaks of the provision that provided for everything for their culture. It was God's provision for them, God's provision being restored. We put signatures on that saying that we've come into agreement that that season, that harvest season is returning. It's harvest time. There is a legacy. 
there is a legacy that needs to be fulfilled, that needs to be walked into, that needs to be, those mantles need to be picked back up and put on and run with. And that's what this Passover was about. It is harvest time. And that's part of the immersion. When we went into the immersion, Joanne began to pray. And I don't know about you, but when I was in the water and I heard her pray, I almost began to break down because that cry, Lord, for the restoration. Oh, God, come. Oh, God, bless. Oh, God, come. Oh, God, bless. God answers that prayer. And we get to be a benefit, the beneficiary of that. So what do we take from this? What do we take from this? Who am I? Our identity. Our identity is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've been bought with a price. The price is fully paid. You've been adopted in. You've been grafted into the family of God. You are a king and a priest. That's who you are. Are. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Your purpose is to represent and to bring healing into the land. God gave a commission. It says that the kingdom that I received from my father, he says, I'm giving to you and Jesus when he was dealing with his disciples. He said, the commission that I got to come and present the father's love to the world I'm giving you that same commission as he gave it to his disciples. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Share the gospel. The Passover table prepares us to preach the good news. The world is full of news. It's full of fake news, but there's some real news. And the real news is that God loves this world. And he still loves his people and he still answers prayer and he still does miracles. And there are still lots of really good things that God has in store for his people if we'll just tap into them. So it is harvest time. And it's time that we walked into our destiny and fulfilled everything that's been written about you in your books that you fulfill that destiny that God has for you. We'll say, I don't know, sure God has a destiny for me. That's right. God has a destiny for you. You are destined to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. You are destined to show and shine a light of Jesus Christ into this world today. Now, not some future event, but right now. Sometimes it's just a smile. You know, you walk into a room with a smile on your face, and a lot of people think, what in the world is this guy up to? What's this guy got on his mind? Who does he think he is? You know, there was a survey that said the American people is one of the most pessimistic people, nations on earth. And that's sad because this is the greatest land that there is. We have the greatest opportunity. We have the most things to be thankful for. Why are we so pessimistic? Because I didn't get my way. We're a bunch of whiners and babies. We need to be thankful. You need to be thanking God for what you've got. Don't be whining and complaining about what you don't have. Be thanking God for what you've got. Because as you praise him, what happens is that opens the windows of heaven. And more begins to flow. And more begins to come. The inheritance begins pouring out to you. So you've been empowered as we went into the immersion. You've been empowered to be kings and priests. 
you've been empowered to be kings and priests. There will be no delays. Now is the season. You are healed. Your land is healed. And you have a new identity. What did I miss? What did you get from the Passover? These are some of my observations. What did you get? Everybody got something. You may have got this, you may have got a lot more. I just touched on a few high spots. That's just a little bit. I went back and reviewed six hours of this. And I found out there's a lot of things that I got from the other side of the camera than what I was getting from the other side of the table. What did you get? What's your identity? Why are you here? When will you walk in your destiny? What's your purpose? These are questions you have to answer. I believe that you've been empowered, you've been anointed. How many of you took the oil and put it on your neck? Well, that means you're anointed. Yeah, but it would have been better if Rabbi had touched my neck. No, it wouldn't have. Nothing against you, Rabbi. The anointing comes from the Spirit of God. It makes your neck fat. I don't like fat. You like this kind of fat. That means that you've been set free from every yoke of bondage. God has set you free. Passover is a season of freedom. A freedom. How many of you are free tonight? All right, if you're free, you can stand with me then. Now your assignment your assignment is to go home and think about Passover. Think about what the Lord has done for you. Think about what the Lord did for you in the immersion where you buried the past and you rose again in the power of a new identity in the power of a new anointing, in the power of a king priest after the order of Melchizedek. There is nothing that's impossible for you to accomplish through his authority and power, which you have. You've got daddy's credit card. You've got daddy's credit card. Some of you ladies are extremely excited. You need to be. You need to be. The Passover of your heritage, things that you get to inherit it, that's part of your birthright, it's, it's part of what the Lord has ordained for you, now you get to walk in them. 
in these coming days. Now we're counting down the Omer. Like I said, this is day 11. We've got 39 to go. Each day is getting us closer to the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Each day you can walk either depressed or encouraged. I would choose the encouragement road. I have a great opportunity. Today, when you get up of a morning, it's an exciting time. What God's got for me today as we journey to the mountain of the Lord. You're all on a journey. You're all on a journey. The Lord's not going to let any of you down. He's going to walk you to your destiny. Sometimes he may be carrying you to your destiny. But either way, you win. So, Father, tonight we thank you. Lord, we come humbly before you in the throne of God. Father, we thank you for the Passover season, the revelation of what you're doing for us and to us. And Lord, I thank you that you have brought a new understanding of the anointing of a king priest. And Lord, that you are and have circumcised our hearts, that you have restored covenant with us. And Lord, I thank you that you are raising and elevating our levels of expectation. Lord, that you are bringing us into a new, deeper understanding of who we are in you. And Father, that we have power and authority, that you have given us a dominion mandate. Father, that we can use that authority to change the environment around us. Father, that we can take authority over all the works of the enemy and call them as nothing and not and stop them in their tracks. Father, I thank you that you're raising that expectation in the people of God so that we can go and represent you in the world. And Father, that the world might know by our love one for another that you have sent Jesus Christ. And Father, that you have complete control over the world, that you have loved us and that you restore us and that you bring us into closer fellowship and communion with you. Father, I thank you for that. I praise you, Lord, that you have empowered this group tonight to go now and to re-examine what they've been given at the Passover table and through the immersion. Father, that this journey, as we journey to the mount of the Lord, Lord, is one of excitement and one of joy and one of hope and one of peace. And I pray that the peace of God, Lord, visits every home. Lord, may the power of your spirit, Lord, rest upon these temples and in these vessels. And Father, make us, Lord, a symbol of joy and hope to the world. May all we meet take notice that we have been at our Father's table and that we have returned in strength and in power. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen and amen. We want to thank you online streamers for joining us. We bless you. I hope some of the things that we talked about this evening as far as this Passover, they may strike a note with you, but ask the Lord for revelation in you. 
about what you saw or what you was experienced during Passover. If you wasn't a part of Passover next year in House of David, instead of next year in Jerusalem, next year in House of David. So come and be a part. We had two so we could get more people involved with this. We want to bless you. And so uh, anyway, we just bless you. Shalom, shalom, and we'll see you Friday night. Thank you for listening to this message from the One New Man Network. For more information, please visit us at theonenewman.com.